Hi, welcome to the Shallow Dive on Derech Eretz Zuta, the Little Book of Etiquette, a collection of wisdom from our sages about how to relate to life. I hope you enjoy. Derech Eretz Zuta, Perk Shmini, Chapter 8, Halacha Hey, the fifth paragraph. Welcome. All that don't have boshes panim is a, literally a sense of bashfulness. I, I think that the the idea of boshes panim needs further investigation, but the the gist of it is a sense of shame or inhibition that holds a person to a, a rigorous moral standard. So if somebody doesn't have boshes upon him, then he's quick to sin. Shenemar it says in Isaiah, Icarus Pnehem Antavom. So it's Pergimel Pasik Tes. Hakoras Pnehem Antavom. Chatosam Kisdom. Higido Lo Chichedu. Nikarim Hem Ba'azus Pnehem. They are distinct and can be identified by the brazenness of their faces. Rashi says the context over here is talking about the sin of not giving an equitable uh, justice system, but accepting bribes or treating some people with favoritism this is uh, a, a source of of their distinction before me in a negative sense. Like Sedom, they did this in a brazen way. It was an open, not done in secret. So that's that is a a certain level of lowness when the relationship to sin is explicit, overt. There's no sense of shame. So that's, that is uh, the, the fallout of not having a sense of shame is that a person can quickly fall into sin. And conversely, all who do possess this quality of bashfulness, they will not be quick to sin. Shanema, as it says in Shmos, chapter 20, and Moses spoke to the nation. He said, do not be afraid. 
for God uh, has, has come to test you. And in order that your fear, that his fear be upon your faces, that you have a sense of awe before him, in order to help you hold back and restrain from sinning. The Nitziv on this verse has an interesting diuk. He says, that you may hold yourself back, restrain from sinning. It says, Levilti not livli. It could have said livli tehatao that you shall not sin. Why does it say levilti? So the Nitziv says, Hachi Pirusha, this is the explanation. That the fear of God be in your hearts, even if you don't sin. It's not merely a sense of fear of retribution. That's that's a, a fear of to fall out of sin, but but this should transcend that. The fear that we're discussing is, is really an awe of God in a person's heart that's independent of sin. The, this noble trait that we're discussing here is not just a basic sense of self-interest Avoiding punishment. It it's a a sense of awe, cultivating a sense of awe. That if a person feels that they are in the presence of God, so if that's rooted in their heart, even without thinking about punishment, they will not be quick to transgress his will if they are in awe of God. So he says, that's why it says, levilti, not just livli, not just that you not sin, but that you, it, it, it comes before the immediate sense of, if I sin, there will be fallout. It, it precedes that in a sense that if a person is in awe of God, so before contemplating the trade-off between the sin and the punishment for the sin, they they will be in awe of God and and not uh, not be quick to to entertain violation of His will. So that is something that that was given to the Jewish people. This verse says particularly by Maimon Har Sinai by the revelation at Sinai that we were imbued with, with a sense of awe from that experience. And, and this, this actually is a classic trait of the Jewish people. Gmarn Yuvamis talks about it. So the, the 
the story is is a sad story. Uh, basically, in just a, a nutshell, what happened was there was a famine, and King David was trying to figure out why the famine took place. And what came out after the investigation was that the Givonim, the Gibbonites, were upset about the loss of their Parnassa, the loss of their livelihood, in the aftermath of the massacre of Nov, Irkonim. So that was a city of Kohanim, Jewish priests that was wiped out by King Saul. He was under the false impression by a very dangerous fellow. He was under false impression that they were engaged in rebellion, and they were not. So Shaul killed them. But in the aftermath of this city being killed, the Gibeonites lost their livelihood because they were sustaining themselves by engaging in commerce with this city. And they wanted vengeance. They wanted the children of King Saul to be killed. So the Gemara says, it starts on Ein Chesmed Beis Nyevomas, continues Ein Tesmed Aleph. It says, Asher Himis HaGivonim El Shol Shelo Nisbukal Ochabal Beis Adonel Yeah. Shoal did not, the Pasuk says because of Shoal killing the Gibbonites, but we don't find Shoal having killed the Gibbonites. The Gemara explains that he killed Nov Irkonim, and they would provide water and food. Because he destroyed their source of livelihood, so it's as though he killed them. And they had a demand against Shoal. King David was looking to try and appease them. They, they were making this uh, claim that they, they wanted justice and there was some legitimacy to that claim and the result was divine famine. God sent a famine to try and restore peace to the land that they should work it out. So the... The Gemara says, Negotiations opening, what do you want? How can I achieve atonement? He's the king of Israel, he's the successor of King Saul, son-in-law. Although there wasn't actually a rebellion, uh, that, that was uh, a source of friction. But now King David is in a position of power and he says, let's make this right. What should we do? Let us work towards blessing the inheritance of God. What do the Givenites say? We don't want reparations. We don't want money. No gold or silver. We want blood. Give us seven men from his sons, and then we will be appeased. So... 
that was that was the uh, the terrible bloodthirsty demand the Gibeonites made. And the Gemara says, "Shlosher simanim umazu." There are three characteristics that are rooted in this nation, the Jewish nation. Rachmanim ubaishonim begom lechasodim. Jewish people are merciful and have bashfulness and commit acts of kindness. Rachmanim, merciful as is written, the same exact verse that's quoted by us in Derech Zuta as the source of bashfulness that the Jewish people possess. And Gomech as well, acts of kindness. It says about Avramavino that he commanded his children. God knows that he guides his children, his household, in the manner of, of kindness. Anybody who does possess these three traits is fitting to be attached to this nation. And unfortunately, the Gibeonites were not possessing these traits. And seven descendants of King Saul were killed. And the famine ended. So that's, that is uh, a terrible tragedy, what happened over there. How's that? How is that justice? It wasn't through a classic justice system. Uh, it was it was working through uh, the Aaron Kodesh. Ravuna says that the descendants of King Saul were passed in front of the the Holy Ark, and whoever was held by the Ark, so to speak, was was. Uh, selected for death, and whoever was not was given over to life. So it was a, an extrajudicial process. The Gemara still has a hard time understanding this, though. It says, why should the, the sons die for the sins of the father? The verse says, both directions. And the Gemara concludes in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Better to uproot one letter from the Torah and not desecrate the name of, of God publicly. And it would be a desecration of God's name if the Jewish people would not be conciliatory in the face of this injustice that their king had committed. And although it was wrong for the Givonim to demand blood, that and, and it's against what, what the Jewish uh, ethics would require, but the Chil Hashem that would have been brought about, the, the desecration of God's name, of not being willing to appease, would be worse. As the Gemara seems to say over here. So, in any event, what happened? These people, the Givonim, 
were excluded from marrying into the Jewish nation. That's, that, that's what happened. They, they chose, through their actions, to choose a, a path for themselves that was inconsistent with the characteristics that are rooted in the Jewish nation, so they're not fit to, to marry into the Jewish nation. And the Raman brings us the halacha. And Isuribia, chapter 19, halacha 17. kashas. All families are presumed to be kosher, kosher families of a fine, fine pedigree. It's permitted to marry into a Jewish family, for Jews to marry Jews. Nonetheless, if you see a long-standing family feud between one family and another, this is not a simon of kashrus. This is not a good thing. If they're constantly fighting with each other, or you see a family that's always in discord and fighting with whomever, not necessarily a particular family feud, but they're fighting in general. Or you see an individual that he is a very difficult person to get along with and is persistently fighting with everybody. And particularly brazen-faced. Then... All of these are considerations a person should take and be cautious. And it's appropriate to distance oneself from them. These are characteristics that indicate some type of flaw in the pedigree. These are not Jewish characteristics. Similarly, anybody who's putting other people down all the time, kegon, shenosin, shemetz, mishpachos, he says, oh, they're not a kosher family, or an individuals, he says, oh, he's a mamzer, if he's calling everybody a mamzer, maybe he's a mamzer, <laughs> have you ever heard, I know you are, but what am I, there's some truth to that, the guy is constantly saying, yeah, you're a mamzer, you're a mamzer, you know, he, all he sees is mamzer. He's a mamzer, probably. There's the, or at least a concern, concern. Suspect. Why is he seeing mamzer everywhere? If he keeps saying, you, you slave, you slave. <laughs> so then you should be concerned. Maybe he's a slave. He sees slave everywhere. It's got slave-colored glasses. Maybe he's a slave. The rule is that whatever he, a person is... Uh, critical of that he's saying he sees this problem everywhere so it's probably a problem by him and similarly whoever has this quality of being brazen faced and cruelty hates people a misanthrope does not engage in acts of kindness with them be very concerned Shema Givoni. Perhaps this is a Gibbonite. 
Shesimon Yisrael, what are the characteristics of the Jewish nation? Ha'umakdosh, the holy nation. Bayshonin, Rachmonin, the Gomlech Hasogim. They are the opposite of that. The Jewish nation has the rooted characteristics from our forefathers. Many of explains that these traits are from our forefathers. Bayshonim, Rachmonin, the Gomlech Hasogim. To have a sense of bashfulness, or as we saw in the Nitziv, a sense of awe before God. We are merciful and kind. In contrast, we gavonim omer v'gavonim lo bnei The verse says, and the Gibeonites, they're not from the children of Israel. because they were so brazen-faced, v'lo nispaisu, they did not accept an overture towards peace. V'lo rochma they did not have mercy on the sons of King Saul. V'lo gomel Yisrael chesed, and they were not willing to act kindly towards the Jewish nation. Limchol, Libnei Malcolm, to forgive the sons of their king. Vehem also Imam Chesed. And the Jewish nation had engaged in kindness with the Gibeonites. Vehechyom, Batchila. They did save them and bring them life. So it was an act of ingratitude as well. So that's the, the Rambam over here, based on this Gemara. The Shlosha Simonim Be'umazu, the three. Cardinal characteristics of Jewish nation: Rachmanim by Shamim the Gomel Chasadim. The the three traits, as I mentioned, from our three patriarchs. So, Rachmanos is something that, at least according to the Ben Yoyada, these three can be traced individually to Yaakov, Yitzchak, and Avraham. So, Rachmanos we get from Yaakov, by Shanin from Yitzchak. And Gomle Chasadim from Avram. And it makes sense, at least the, I don't know, could be the Ramam had a slightly different Girsa, but according to the Girsa of the Gemara, it makes sense that it's specifically said in that order because the trait that is most Jewish, uniquely Jewish, would be Rachmanim. The next trait, meaning because that's from Yaakov, the next trait from Yitzchak is not. Universal only to Yitzchak, it would include also Bnei Esav, would be by Shonim. At least you would think so. I don't know if Esav's descendants really do exemplify by Shonos, but it's a trait that was given by Yitzchak. And Gomle Chasodim is from the descendants of Avram, who is the paragon of kindness, and that includes Bnei Shmol as well. So, in terms of the uniqueness, to the Jewish nation, it would be Rachmanim first, then Bayshonim second, and more generically, Gomel Chasadim. And our Bryce over here is focusing on Bayshonim. This trait, the, the value of this trait is that it slows down a person from coming into to sin. The Mishnah Perkyavos contrasts it with Azpanim Gehenim. Right, the, the person who has Boshas Panim is is on track towards Gan Eden. They're, they're living in a way that there's a sense of awe. Like the King David says, and it's brought by the Ramah in the beginning of Shulchan Aruch, the sense of awe, recognition of God in the universe before them so that that is the uh, the 
greatest check towards any wrongdoing. And this idea is, is, is something that I think a lot, of, a lot of people can relate to. Uh, it, it's, there's a Gemara that, that says, even if you have a hard time thinking about God, but as a proxy for God, you can think about people. So that's, that's a great start. In order to think about Boshas Panim, the value of, of the social pressure to not engage in wrongdoing. The Gemara speaks about the death. It says that the death of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Baruchas Chavches Medbez, it says that his students came in to visit him by his deathbed. Uh, a second. Yeah. He began crying. Amr lo Talmidov, the student said to him, to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Ner Yisrael Amud, Imni Patish, Achazak, Ifne Ma'ata Boche, why are you crying? If I was about to be brought to judgment before a king of flesh and blood, today he's here, tomorrow he's in the grave. If he's angry at me, it will pass. If he forbids something to me, it's limited. Even if he decides to commit the ultimate act of punishment, he can only end my life in this world, but not eternally. And I can try and appease him with words. The moment I could even bribe him. Hey, you know, he has pockets, so I could bribe him. Vafel peaking. Nonetheless, I'd be crying. If I had to be brought to judgment before a king of flesh and blood, with all these limitations, I'd still be shaking in my boots. But now that I'm being brought before the king of the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, he is, he is alive and... Uh, standing, as it were, for eternity. If he is angry at me, his anger could be eternal. He can uh, decree against me eternally. He could decree eternal death. I cannot appease him. I can't buy him off. Not only that, I see before me two pathways. One of the Garden of Eden and one of Purgatory, Gehenna. I am about to die. I don't know which one will I be brought to. Of course, can I not cry in this circumstance? Amr lo Rabbeinu 
the students said, Rebbe, give us a bracha. <laughs> they, they had enough. Okay, Rebbe, give us a bracha. What was the great blessing he gave them? Amar lahem, yihi ratzon shatei mere shamayim aleichem kimore basavadam. May be the will, the prayer to God, let the fear of heaven be upon you as strongly as the fear of flesh and blood. The social pressure is so powerful, let your fear of heaven be on par with that. Amr lo talmidav, I can. The students felt that was a little bit anticlimactic, that's it? That's your blessing? Amr lam, he said, I wish it would be that much. So much fear of heaven, that you actually have the same level of fear of heaven as you have of fear of people, that would be really a huge blessing. Tehidu, you should know. Keshadam over Avera, when a person sins, Omer shaloi reini adam. A person says, I hope nobody sees. Nobody sees, no person sees. He's not worried about God watching. Bishas Ptirosa, Omer lehem, Nukelim, Mipnetuma, at the time when he was actually ready to die, he said, Remove the vessels, that they should not become impure. And prepare a chair for Hezekiah, the king of Judah, who has come. So he, he saw that he was being escorted to the world to come by King Hezekiah. So that's the Gemara over here. We find that Boshas Panim, the sense of bashfulness, it, of course on the highest level, as the Nativ says, is awe of God, but on a very practical level, a person feels social pressure and would not necessarily do something in front of other people that they feel is a, is a violation of their ethics. So if they just give God that much derech eretz, so that's, that is a tremendous sense of fear of heaven. That's, that's Boshe's pun. I'm not going to quickly come to sin. The famous, very famous uh, economist, Adam Smith, Scottish economist, considered his most important work the theory of moral sentiments. Even though he's more famous for his economic work, the, the theory of moral sentiments is what he considers, he considered the most important, and, and he worked on that beforehand, and he, he worked on it till his last year. And one of the ideas he suggests is that a person consider what he calls the impartial spectator. And that's really this idea that Rabbi Yochanan is saying. How will you be perceived by an impartial spectator? Now, of course, there are flaws in the impartial spectator idea, but as I'll just say, for example, in a society that has corrupt value system to the extent that the value system is corrupt, the impartial spectator would be corrupt. But the 
the general idea is is a good one that that a person have more shemaim, a sense of inhibition in the in the face of heaven that is at least parallel to the inhibition or at most Rabbi Yochanan is saying parallel to the inhibition a person feels before other people so that's working with and cultivating a sense of conscience conscience based on an impartial spectator how will what you do or not do be perceived by somebody that you that you see as impartial will there be approving disapproving and that's a, a generically good gauge of the the moral quality of a person's actions or inactions so that that's working with boshas punning and the, the root of inhibition I, I think is a sense of potential loss a person a person has a sense of loss they will lose their their dignity if they're engaging in something that's reprehensible so that's that will hold them back if they stand to lose that so they can be held back from engaging in something that's immoral interesting Gemara in Shabbos about Yitzchak Avinu all the Avos really I think that that to some degree Yitzchak often gets a little bit of a I don't want to say bad rap but but less less valued in many ways than Avram and Yaakov you want to call him the, the middle father He's not necessarily given the same uh, coverage in Sefer Bereshis that Avram and Yaakov are given. And yet, the Gemara in Shabbos has a remarkable story, a remarkable Gemara, describing Yitzchak, our hero. Yitzchak Avinu, our hero. In a relative to Avram and Yaakov. Let's take a look. It's that Petesmid Bays in Shabbos. Amar Rabbi Shmuel Banachmeni, Amar Rabbi Yonasan. Mandama ki ato avinu. The verse says in Isaiah 63:16, For you are our father, addressing Yitzchak. Ki Avram lo yadanu. Abraham we have not known. And we have not recognized Israel. But you are our father. And then it concludes, You, the Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer for eternity is your name. So what is this very cryptic verse? How is it being interpreted in the Gemara here? not knowing Abraham, not recognizing Israel. So the Gemara says, In the future, God, the Holy and Blessed be He, will address Abraham. He's got a complaint. 
Your sons have sinned against me. Sound familiar? Okay, what's Abraham going to say in response to this? I'm on the phone of Rabbanu Shalom, Yimchul al Kedusha Shemecha. It's a pretty bad rap sheet, and Avraham Avinu will respond to the Holy One, Blessed Be He, Master of the Universe, wipe them out on account of your holy name, which has been desecrated. Wow. Omar, what did God do? He said, Amar Leili Yaakov. Why don't I go and talk to the grandson? <laughs> I'll talk to Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov has an advantage over Avram. He had to deal with the challenges of raising up the Jewish people, the 12 tribes. There was some fighting going on, if you notice, in some of the parishes. And maybe he will pray for mercy for the Jewish people. Okay. God says to Yaakov, to Jacob, your, sin, your sons have sinned. What does Yaakov respond? Master of the universe. The same thing that my grandfather said. It's terrible. This is really bad what they've done. Destroy them on account of your holy name. Okay? God said, there's no reason in the elder, and there's no good advice by the young one. Amar lo So God said to Isaac, Your sons have sinned against me. Who will what? That's correct. That's correct. It says in the future. So now, God is not pleased with the response of Avram or Yaakov. And he will approach Yitzchak with the same, the same issue. Amar lo, Yitzchak. He said to Yitzchak, Bonecha chatuli, your sons have sinned against me. Omar Lafana Vribana Shalom Bonai Velobanecha Master of the Universe, they're my sons, not your sons. Okay. We got some something juicy over here. He's not saying destroy them. This is a big plus. Bishashikdimulafanechanishma at the time when they said before you, Nase, before Nishma, that they have signed up. To, to fulfill your will, before they even heard what, that, what it is. You refer to them as my son, my firstborn. And now all of a sudden they're my sons and not your sons. What happened? Your sons sinned against me. Yitzchak says, you know, they're your sons. Okay, Yitzchak's got, got more action. How much did they sin already? How long does a person live already? 
Shivam Shana, 70 years. Dal Eshrin. Got some interesting accounting tools. He says, first, cut off the first 20 years. Give him a break for 20 years. In the Midbar, you only made Xera from 20 and upward, 20 to 60. Under 20, pass. Give him, give him a uh, exemption for uh, juvenile delinquency under 20. Okay, so you're down to 50. The low anashal layo. So a partial commission, you're left with 50 years. Dal chavhei, let's cut out 25. Half the time. Delayo It's night time. Okay. Partial chavhei, you're left with 25 years. Dal tatisario paga. Let's cut that down to 12 and a half years. They're spending time davening, and they spend time eating, and they have to use the bathroom, hygiene. You're only left with 12 and a half years. God, what's the big deal? 12 and a half years of sinning. And if you can bear them entirely, great. Hey, I, I knocked it down to 12 and a half years per person of sinning. <laughs> and if not, Yitzchak's got a bargain. He says, God, if not, I'll split it 50-50 with you. Half on me, half on you. You said they're my sons. They're, they're your sons. But half, half. If you don't want to take all of it, half, half. <laughs> and if you'll say, it's all my problem. It's all on me. I sacrificed my soul before you. So, if it's all on me, so I've got some, some merit over here. I sacrificed, the ultimate sacrifice. So, the Jewish people said that this verse, Ki Atovinu. For you are our father. Yitzchak saves the day. In the future, Yitzchak will be the defender for the Jewish people. Amar lem Yitzchak, what will Isaac say to them? Ad shatim kasem li. Until you praise me, kasel kashbaruchu. Praise God. Mochel le aluhu Yitzchak kashbaruchu benai. Yitzchak will direct them to see God with their very eyes. They will lift their eyes to the heights, to the heavens, the Omrim, and they will say the conclusion of the verse. That's fascinating description of Yitzchak. Yitzchak, the unsung hero of the Jewish people in the future, he's going to come to, come to bat for the Jewish people. And what is his strategy? His strategy is to some degree coming from the Midah of Yira, of Boshas Panim. And even in the end, he sticks to that. He says, don't, don't thank me, thank God. He's, he's totally in awe of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that perspective is, is what allows him to to make this bold defense of the Jewish people. 
So the, the Boshas Panim is, is an amazing and, and critical characteristic that the Jewish people have that we gained from Yitzchak. It's, he's, he's our father and that he has given us these characteristics as our spiritual heritage. And that's the characteristic, the Boshas Panim that we have that is matzil us from hate as Yitzchak is busy cutting away, not going so quick to sin, he's, he's utilizing, as it were, the tools of Boshes Panim, that he's mashrish, that he rooted in the Jewish people to defend the, the lack of alacrity with which we have sinned. Yes, Jewish people sin, but they're not running to sin. They're not sinning all the time. So th- that's coming from Boshas Panim. And Yitzchak is seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu and showing HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the Jewish people this awe, this, this awe that the Pasuk is talking about is the fear of God on our face. Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Kohelis, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy. Amartyani Balibi, verse 18. I said in my heart, Aldibras Bneha Adam Levarom Hoelohim. Concerning the matter of the sons of man that God has come to clarify. Viliros Shehem Behema Hemalohem and to see that they are like an animal. It's, it's a bit cryptic. They are to them or to themselves. So let's see how Targum translates this verse. Amaris on a belibi. I said in my heart. And when, when, again, when King Solomon says he's seeing some, something in his heart or saying something in his heart, it's a, an internal type of knowledge that is on the one hand, harder to prove because it's internal, but on the other hand, it has a certain reality that is more internal. It's, it's more, uh, it's, it's in his gut. He knows it from an experiential sense. He feels that, it's, that this is correct and true, even if it's not something that he can prove uh, philosophically necessarily. So it's in his heart. And the Targum says, Asak Benasha, the the deeds or the, the work of the sons of man. Deyese Aleon that is brought upon them by God. Machtoshin 
ומרין בישין. מכתושין זה לשון כתישה, it's a, a word that means to grind or to crush. God has brought to the sons of man things that crush. ומרין בישין means literally an evil sight, but it means like plague and suffering. So God has brought to man, the sons of man, a plight of things that are crushing and, and the perception of evil. Begin linasoehen, in order that he test them. So that's what he's explaining, levorom Elohim, to test them, that, that God tests them, he's bringing to man these challenges. Ubegin l'mivchanehon. So the, the nuance of difference between l'nas ehon and l'mivchanehon is a fine one. I don't know exactly the difference, but I'll describe a little bit of, of the difference. L'nas ehon is a test, like a nisayon is a, a, a challenge. Lemivchanehon is a test, not in a sense of a challenge, but in a sense of uh, a determination. Like a, a bechino is to, to determine, uh, to, to identify the truth, the, the status of one's knowledge, for example. A test will test that knowledge. Whereas nisayon is is a nisayon is a is like from the word nis a banner, it will bring to to light the the qualities from a latent potential to actuality. So it's slight slight difference in nuance, but, but I'm not sure if it corresponds precisely to. Machtoshin umarimbishin, that God brings things that are crushing and things that are sites of evil or, or suffering in order to do these two things, to bring out the, the qualities of man and to test him. God has done these that he shall see in taivin bisyuvta. If they will return in tshuva, in, in returning to God. And he will forgive them. And they will be healed. So that is the, the Tagum's explanation of what the, the purpose of God bringing to humanity. Crushing challenges of suffering. Uh, perception of evil that seems bad, but it is meant to bring out the good in man and to restore him to God. The, the uh, famous quip, there are no atheists in the foxhole, there is a tendency to reach out to God in a time of suffering, a time of travail, a time of helplessness. It, it, it does bring a person to try and 
figure out what's wrong. If somebody, something is hurting, so the native instinct is to stop the hurt. How to avoid the pain. So, in a more sophisticated sense, if somebody is undergoing challenge or something that's crushing them, they need to evaluate where have they made mistakes that have led to this suffering. It's, it's a impetus. It's, it's meant to catalyze tshuva, repentance, and return to God, and to be healed. That's the, that's the point. Virashia, uh, and the wicked, diinon kivira, that are like behemoths, like, like cattle, uh, animals, lo saivin, they do not repent, they do not return to God. Begin kain inon mizvakhin, because they're too busy having debates. Bahon la'av asha lahon. In having these debates to their own detriment. So they, they're considering what to do. Perhaps he's saying that it's like the, the deer in the headlights situation. They're, they're not responding by returning to God, but they're equivocating and it's to their detriment. They're not, they're not doing what they should be doing. And in this sense, they're like an animal. That's what the Targum says. Liros shehem behema hemolohem. They're acting in an animal-like manner by not responding in, in, in the appropriate manner of return. There's an interesting Ramban, Bereshis. Describes the test. The Torah reflects on a test that God tested Avraham. We actually saw it a little bit before as it pertained to Yitzchak, but the verse doesn't mention it as being a test for Yitzchak. It says in Bereshis chapter 22, verse 1, And it was after these matters, And God tested Abraham. What did God say to him? Avram called him by his name. He responded, I am here. Take your son. Your, your lone son that you have loved as Yitzchak, Isaac. And bring him up as a sacrifice. This is a pinnacle of his career, if you will, a test beyond test. He's been preaching to all of these people about the, the evil of human sacrifice. And now... God commands him to sacrifice his son. He's going to be the biggest hypocrite in the world. Everybody's going to, to look at him as a laughingstock. All of his life's work down the tube. If he kills his only son, 
He's not going to have anybody to carry on his work after him. It's the, the ultimate negation of his life is at stake over here. According to one opinion that I heard, God was even telling him, yeah, of course child sacrifice is a, crim a cr criminal activity. Of course you're going to burn in Gehenna for doing this. But do it for me. <laughs> right? Just a, a, a very wild idea. How could he kill his son? What, what exactly is being asked of him here? And this, the terminology used here is Nisa. A Nisayon, a test. And the Ramban uh, explains. Yeah, please. So if, like, how, how can God specifically, like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would God tell Abraham, you know, like, yeah, you are going to burn and get Adam, you know, you are going to receive punishment for bringing your son as a sacrifice, but still do it for me. Like, how can he, isn't that like double jeopardy in a way almost? Like, why would he... <laughs> Why would God behave himself like this to his most devout follower, the only follower at that time? Right, so he had uh, brought, the, the Torah recalls earlier, he, he had quite a following from Haran. He, he brought many people to the recognition of the one true God. And yes, it, it is mind-boggling that he would issue such a command as a matter of accuracy, the command wasn't to actually kill Isaac, but just to bring him up as a sacrifice. And it was incomprehensible. It was incomprehensible. He, he knows that it was prohibited. He knows that this is something that God detests, as he states elsewhere. He detests child sacrifice, human sacrifice. So the, the nature of this test is, is almost unimaginable. And the Ramban, Nachmanides, gives us a general principle to understand how God tests man. And God tested Abraham. The man says, in my opinion, what is the matter of a test? First step is, a person has full choice to choose what he wants to do in his life can choose to do something, not to do something. It doesn't mean there aren't forces pushing him in one direction or another. Everybody is subject to forces. But the actual choice is his. And he bears responsibility for that choice. If he wants to do something, he'll do it. If he doesn't want to do it, he won't do it. It's an Nisoyun from the, the terminology of a test is because it's testing the one being tested. Why is God testing? God is trying to bring out a latent potential into actuality. That he should derive the benefit of the reward of a good deed not just the reward of good intentions. So the test brings out to an actualized experience, not just 
something that he was willing to do, but something he actually did. Not something he was willing to forego, but something he actually abstained from. Vida ki Hashem tzadik yibchon. No, God only tests the righteous. Based on the verse in Psalms 11.5, ki shiodea betzadik sono. He knows that the righteous will fulfill his will. And God's desire is to bring the righteous righteousness, to, to bring out the potential into actuality. So therefore, he commands him in a manner that is a test. He brings a test to the righteous. However, he does not test the Rishayim. And notice he, he uses the terms almost interchangeably. He switches by the wicked to say Yivchon. So he seems to be using the term Nisayin and Bechino interchangeably. Ah, Ruchim Abayim. Vehine, kol hanesiyonah shvatera latova haminusa. The Ramban tells us, in his opinion, any time when there's a test in the Torah, it is to the benefit of of the tested. So if God is testing Abraham, it's for Abraham's benefit, because he is righteous. If somebody is wicked, they don't need to be tested. God is not going to test them. They, they have their own challenges, they have their choices, and they're making poor choices, but God is not specifically testing them. A test God reserves for the righteous to bring their righteous potential into actuality. So that's the Ramban. And how does that fit with the Targum in our verse? Right, our verse says that God is bringing these crushing challenges, the, the, the vision of evil, the terrible sights, as a test. To test them and to, to determine Will they repent or not? Will they be healed? Forgiven and healed. So, the righteous will, and the wicked will not. The wicked will be like animals, Tagum says, and not return. They'll be stuck in vikuchin, misvakhin, stuck in equivocation, and not actually return to God. So I, I don't believe that there's a, a conflict between the Ramban and the Targum. I think they're talking about different type of tests. This test over here that Targum is talking about in Koheles is a test of somebody who has slipped. Right? The, the test is to bring them to repent, to do tshuva, to return to God, and to be healed through that. Be forgiven and healed. So we're not talking about the test of the righteous that is to just to bring out their righteousness, but the test of somebody who has slipped to a degree, and this will help restore them the challenge that whatever it is that's crushing or, or the evil that they're experiencing is meant to, to catalyze their repentance, their return to God. So that's something that God does also for the wicked. 
Unfortunately, if they choose to be wicked, then they act like an animal and don't seize the opportunity to, to come close to God in, in the face of this challenge. That's, that's the, the tagging. So, yeah. So essentially, like, in this example, God will test literally up, in, up until the razor's fine edge of, like, you know, bring your son as a sacrifice. He never said, you know, kill him or burn him, but said bring him up as a sacrifice, meaning, like, in this example is the way that you... Uh, translated or explained it to me that it's you know like uh, how do I say it I had it in my head a few minutes ago uh, like essentially he'll he will bring the person that he is testing right up until, until the fine line of in this circumstance it would be technically committing a sin but he's just essentially testing him to see if he will go through with it, right? Is he... Right, is Sorry, he, I'm not when, correctly how I had it in my head before. The, the, the real test, as it says at the, at the end, he, he is brought through the experience uh, to a, a new height of fear of God. And he is, he is so completely committed to God, that he's willing to give up everything to do whatever God says, to, to follow God without consideration of, of any other factor. It's a total, right, total devotion that, that has zero sense of uh, uh, calculation of self. Right, so that that's when when the angel calls out, he says, "Oh, now I see that you that you have, are God fearing." That's it wasn't just in his potential, but it was brought out by this test that he was willing to sacrifice his own son. Of course, only at the command of God. But that's that is he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. And that's a type of test that is only given to the righteous. The, the test that the Targum is talking about is a test of crushing or suffering, some type of test that makes a person naturally have an instinct to get out of the pain. And the way to get out of the pain is to come back to God, to live our lives in accordance with His will, because He doesn't, he doesn't want us to have pain. Humanity, when we make bad choices, introduce pain into the equation. It's, it's not, God gave us the Garden of Eden. Beautiful life. We made some bad choices. Suddenly there's suffering. So the, the interaction with pain on, on an even instinctive physical level is to get out of the pain, but on a more sophisticated level is understand the root cause of that pain and get out of it. If, it's, if the, the source of the pain is living life to one degree or another, not in accordance with the will of God, that's where the pain is coming from. Come back to God and be healed. He will be forgiving 
of that person who wants to come back to him, and the person will be healed. And that's, that type of test, if you will, is, is something that everybody is afforded. As that's not reserved only for the righteous. Everybody makes mistakes, and the one who takes the, the lesson to heart to, to stop the pain, to recalibrate their lives in accordance with God's will, they will be forgiven and healed. And those that act like animals will equivocate and essentially be stuck. And it'll be to their detriment. They're, it's an unnatural response to pain. It's, it's to a degree. It's a, a, a person acting like, acting like an animal um, when they, they do have the capacity to get out of the pain. So it's, it's a tragic, a tragic uh, scenario that the wicked choose for themselves. So the test that Targum is talking about is essentially chuva. Is a test to bring a person to chuva, right? Whereas by Avram, it was not a test necessarily for chuva, although there are some midrashic interpretations that do associate it with a test. For tshuva, we we do find that on some subtle levels, maybe he had made a mistake, and this was being brought to help him correct that mistake. So there, even even by Avram, that I, I would say there are indications that it may have been for tshuva, at least according to some midrashic interpretations. But the the degree of test that he is experiencing, when the, the Torah goes out of his way to say he's testing him as opposed to just smacking him to help him, you know, realize there's a problem, sense that pain and get out of it, this, the test over here is something that's reserved for the righteous. That it's, it's more than just to do tshuva, it's to bring out the righteousness that he has within him, that he's trying to do, would love to do, if he has the opportunity. Right? The, 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 another important facet of this equation is don't ask for a test. King David made that mistake. It was a terrible mistake. He, he understood this idea and he was trying to be righteous. He was generally quite righteous, King David. Doesn't need my uh, you know, approbation. But he made a mistake in asking to be tested. And he failed miserably. Because a person can never actually succeed without the divine assistance. So asking for a test is really asking for trouble. But notwithstanding that, God tests those that are righteous to bring out the righteousness. So then why Hashem said yes to his request? Whose request? To uh, test for the test. That's what he asked for. It's, uh, person has a choice. He, that's what David wanted. Can you repeat his question? He wanted to know why did God agree? Why did God agree to, to test him? So that's, that's part of free will, that he, he wanted that. And more than just free will, God gives a person opportunities for the path that they want to choose for themselves. So it's, it's actually a, 
a very significant degree of free will that we have, God gives us not just autonomy to choose what we want to do or what we don't want to do, but to develop the pathway towards that. So he asked for a test. God didn't hold it back from him. We find not just King David, before him as well, the Nephilim. Remarkably, they, they were scornful of humanity's failings. They were angels. And they said, this is terrible. And God said, you know, that they're looking at it from a perspective that has no empathy. They don't realize the challenges of being a human being. So they were given the opportunity. They took it and they failed miserably. They, they didn't appreciate the challenges that confront a human being until they were themselves human and they ended up being much worse than the other people. So uh, the fallen angels Nephilim. So asking for a test is definitely a bad plan. Uh, but yeah, that that's, doesn't mean that God won't let a person be tested if that's what he requests. So yeah, next verse, 19. What transpires to the sons of man and to animals, it is one event that will happen to them. As is the death of this one, so is the death of that one. And there is one spirit for all. And the advantage of man over animal is, is non-existent. Because everything is fleeting. So th this, this is really a, a very sharp, a, a sharp discussion that he's had in, in many ways about the fleeting experience that humanity has in, in the cosmic sense we're a tiny blip on the radar our short lives here there's so, so much vastness before and after whatever we do here where is there a prophet that can transcend that little blip and he's saying essentially when you look at it from a cosmic sense Saying the advantage of man over animal is, is is limited or almost non-existent because there's this fleeting effect that just the the ravages of, of time undermine anything that an individual will do. That's what King Solomon said prophetically. He saw all of his his great works were going to be undermined in the course of history. Let's see the Tagum. Yutes. Arum irun enosha chayova. Ve irun beira masava irun chad lakulum. What transpires for the guilty and for non-kosher creatures is the same. And why Targum is talking about non-kosher animals as opposed to kosher animals, I don't know. It's a fascinating thing. 
In the previous verse, he just said like an animal, which is what the verse says, behemoth. Suddenly now, he's contrasting non-kosher, or, or comparing, I should say, non-kosher animal with a person who is guilty. Enosha chayova. He doesn't say wicked, right? He, he said in the previous word, rashi ayo, the wicked. Here he says, enosha chayova, men who are guilty. He doesn't say, but he says it's one result. Men who are guilty and non-kosher animals have one end. Just as the non-kosher animal shall die, so too shall this one die. For he will not return in tshuva, repentance, kadam mostly before his death. Vinishmas ruach tavehon kechado, and the spirit, the the soul of them both is like one. Is done lechol gavon, u'she'aruz gavra chayova min beira misava midam. And the they are similar. And the, the difference between the guilty person and the non-kosher animal is, uh, is barely perceptible. Elohim, where do you find a perception of difference between the non-kosher animal that dies and the guilty person that dies without repenting, base kvurta. The only difference is that the sinner who is guilty and does not repent, he he is buried. Unlike the animal, the non-kosher animal is not buried. It dies, it's, uh, gets picked up by waste management. It's not buried. It doesn't have that dignity of being buried. Arum kula havalu. Then he concludes the verse, pretty much just a direct translation, because all is fleeting. So he, he is describing the, the, the guilt of wickedness without repentance, without coming back to God, really should should have the same end as he says a non-kosher animal that has no burial and, and there's no there's no halachic requirement to bury a kosher animal under normal circumstances we do find a kosher animal having a potential to to die in a way that is an elevation a, a kosher sacrifice for example and the ashes of that are buried. So we do find some, some aspect, we also have Kisui Adam, even by non-sacrificial slaughter, by, by some animals, you have the covering over of the blood. So by, by kosher, you do have some aspect that is similar to burial, 
Whereas by non-kosher animals, you don't have burial. There's no burial. There's this lack of dignity in, in the death of the non-kosher animal. And he's saying even though they're really on a similar track to die, the, the one who is guilty, the human being who is guilty, and not, uh, not going to choose to elevate himself and return to God before his death, if that's the way he died, is in sin, so although he's similar to the animal, there's a slight difference that he deserves burial. So that, that I think, is, is a telling point that one is tragic and one is not. The potential of the person, even if they choose not to come close to God, their last breath, their affirming their wickedness, nonetheless, they must be buried. There is some human dignity there. The fact that there was a potential here itself is worthy of kavura, of burial. Whereas the non-kosher animal had no choice and it was never eligible for this type of dignity. It was going to die. It's, it doesn't have the, the options to, to choose anything really. And although it's non-kosher, it's still part of what God said is good in the creation. But it doesn't have burial. It doesn't have any type of testament to its value beyond its life. Its value is in its life and not beyond that by a non-kosher animal. Even a human being that sins to the end and doesn't return to God, there is still some value of dignity of his humanity that he, there's a requirement to bury him. So in, in that regard, there is some, some advantage, if you will. It's, it's tragic that he didn't choose at the very end, at least at the very end, to elevate himself. But even, even if he didn't, there's, there's a, a testament to his humanity that the rest of us are obligated to recognize. And, and that requires his burial. If, if you take a look in the, the wars described, Gog and Magog, the eschatological wars and Messianic era, preceding the Messianic era, we find that Gog and his hordes will have burial in the land of Israel. So even though they have died in a war essentially against God. Nonetheless, they do merit burial. There is, there is a value that in spite of their wickedness, the potential of greatness needs to be honored, even if it wasn't realized. There's, there still is something sacred to the human being. And that, that is, if you will, a, a slight advantage of the guilty one who doesn't change that over the non-kosher animal. That's the way Targum says it. It's similar in the Medrash.
it seems to be one of the opinions of the Medrash, actually. It says as follows. What transpires to the sons of men, what transpires to the animal. It's not actually identical. What happens to man is not what happens to animals. Is there not a parallel that I said that man shall be circumcised on the eighth day and by an animal that it should be eligible for sacrifice on the eighth day? When, when the Pasuk is bemoaning the, the minuscule difference between man and animal, he says, what is the difference, though, is man has a beautification of his chair. He, he will not be desecrated, as it were, like an animal. One says, make for him a sedan, or a, a, some type of uh, carrier that he can, he can travel in. A, a, a gurney, if you will. He should not be just cast off like the corpse of a carcass of an animal. Make for him uh, garments. Uh, so, cushions, if you will. When, it, when a man sits, he should sit on a cushion. When an animal sits, it just sits on the ground. So this is some, some level of sensitivity to man that he should have a comfort that is greater than an animal. Rabbi Levi, Rabbi Ami, Chad Omar, also And this is what Targum says. One of them says, bury man. Chad Omar, One says, make for him a casket. One says, make for him an, uh, a casket and burial shrouds. But all of them are, are working along the same lines that there's a requirement to bury a human being that has perished in a sense of the, the loss of humanity that is sacred that you do not have by an animal. This is, this is an advantage that man has over animal. Yeah, okay, we're... Forgive me, I was busy while you were talking to <laughs> No problem. Yeah, what, what, what's your question? Well, uh, you wear glasses. Did you get them around here? I'm trying to get uh, new glasses.